Right, little uh, K-pop for you. That's the first Korean pop song that I was ever introduced to by my friend Scott. Shout out Scott Albrecht. Shout out Miss Moon for letting me use this garage going on nine years. Appreciate it. Actually, it's got to be longer than that. I'd say, let's see, we built this in like, I think, yeah, I think we I think we started building this in the, in the winter of 2015, uh, 2014, finished it in like the summer of 2015, so... Yeah, it'll be nine years going on it. So, shouts out K-pop. Um, I hear K-pop's all the rage now with the kids. And J-pop, it's Japanese pop. Where's the C-pop at? Does China have, like, awesome pop stars? Who is that guy on American Idol? <laughs> Who is that guy? Remember that guy? Um, I can't remember his fucking name. God damn it. I'm going to look this up. It's very important that we look this up. She bang, she bang, just like she move, she bang. Uh, let's see, Chinese American Idol guy. What the hell is his name? William Hung. That's C-pop, baby. He had like an album. That was the weird thing about American Idol is, is there were a lot of people that kind of like definitely got 15 minutes of fame uh, either because they were good or because they were so incredibly not good. William Hung's definitely the example, the best example of a guy who was, who was not good. No offense, William Hung. But uh, not really renowned for his musical prowess. prowess. And then you had guys like Daltrey, Chris Daltrey. He came in third, and, and I would argue that he probably had the most success... Uh, besides Kelly Clarkson and Carrie Underwood. Kelly Clarkson was the first ever American Idol winner, season one. Carrie Underwood, I think, was season three. And they both had, you know, remarkable careers. Kelly Clarkson is still going. Carrie Underwood, Carrie Underwood's singing like the, the Monday Night Football shit. Oh, you ready for some football? They don't even play that anymore on Monday Night Football. It's like something else. Waiting all day for Sunday night. That doesn't go as hard as, Are you ready for some football? Are you ready to party? Get this thing started. That was that was fire, dude. That, was, that got me ready for some football. I'm ready for some football right now. Just singing it. No, but Chris Daughter, he had a bunch of hits. Now that it's all said and done, I can't believe you were the one. That was like a, a Planet Fitness number one hit of all time. Just remember working out at Planet Fitness as a 16-year-old in high school, and that song was just constantly on. Well, I never saw it coming. I should have started running long, long time ago. I mean, that song went hard. And that wasn't even, I, I would say, it's not over, should have done it right this time around. That song went in, am I just going to sing this <laughs> whole podcast? Welcome to the I Poorly Sing <laughs> American Idol hits <laughs> for an hour straight. No, anyway, that was Ty Yang, uh, that original song called Wedding Dress. I, I prefer the Korean version. I kind of know the words. I know what the words sound like. I think he says Hagen dazs at some point. I don't think the song's about ice cream, but he definitely, 
He definitely mentions Hagen does at some point in that song, but I love that shit. Um, my name is Jimmy Seleski, a renowned non-K-pop star, non-J-pop, not even A-pop, not even American pop star. But can you believe it? <laughs> uh, coming at you on this lovely Tuesday blues day. It's not that blues of a day. I, I, I got to say, the studio has been toasty lately when I walk in. For those of you who don't know, I, this is a detached garage at my friend's mother's house that I rent out. Because again, I've been live, uh, doing, no, I don't live here. I don't live here, okay? But uh, it gets cold, you know? There's not, there's not any heat. I have like a kerosene heater here. Um, but the guy who rents out the other side of the garage, he's like a carpet cleaner. And I guess he just like heats that side. So I walk in here, I'm used to it being like 20 degrees. And it's been like, like I, I, didn't, I didn't even turn on the heat. I'm good. This is amazing. This is like actually having a real studio. Thank you, carpet guy for being there for me. No, uh, it's Tuesday Blues Day. I, 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 was, I was in a great mood today, and then for about one hour, just one hour, I was in a very annoyed mood. And once again, wouldn't you know, it had something to do <laughs> with sports gambling. And luckily, luckily, it didn't involve me losing any money, but it was just annoying. My brother... Uh, through he was like dude you got to get on this new app called fliff f-l-i-f-f fliff you got to get on fliff uh they're doing a sign up bonus by the way just real quick i don't care if you gamble or if you don't gamble um you're missing out on free money it, sign up for these sports books they're giving out like ridiculous bonuses in many cases like fanduel DraftKings, caesars mgm uh ESPN bet, Fliff, <laughs> Fanatics now used to be points bet. Every single one of them has some type of bonus where like you sign up, you deposit like a certain amount. Some of them you deposit any amount. You deposit like 10 bucks. I think some of them are like $10 minimum and you get $200 in bonus bets. Now, if you're an idiot, you blow all $200 on one bet. Granted, you can't lose that money. You can only win. They give you a free bet or multiple free bets. So sign up for the books, deposit 10 fucking dollars, claim your $150, $200, whatever amount it is, bonus bets, throw it on a couple games. If you're smart, you put them on, you diversify a little bit. If you got $200 in bonus bets, maybe do four $50 bets. It's free money. All you can do is win. The worst case scenario is... You just win nothing. There's no possibility of losing at that point. Now, of course, the sports books are banking on you continuing to gamble after you blow through your $200 in free bets. And uh, in the case of most people, you would be correct. But you don't have to be like most people. This is kind of like a life hack similar to the credit card thing, which is another thing that that eventually caught up to me. But the reality, people kind of like, I, I've known some people who... And this is kind of a younger person thing, I think, um, who just don't have a credit card. And they just prefer to pay everything debit up front, straight out of the account. And that's a good way to be in theory. But the reality is most of these credit card companies, they offer uh, you know, rewards points. So like for every $100 you spend on the credit card, um, you get like a dollar 
or two. Let's let's say let's say a dollar. I think mine is like one percent cash back. So basically, for every dollar I put on the card, I mean every hundred dollars I put on the card and pay off, I get like a dollar in rewards points. So you know, for me, I could probably spend about two thousand a month on various things. I put most things on my credit card as a matter of habit because if I'm going through a $2,000 a month on the credit card, first of all, if you pay it off at the end of the month, there's no interest. You only accrue interest once it rolls over to the next month. So if it's February right now and I put everything on my card in February and then my payment date comes up at the end of the month and I pay it off in full, it's essentially the same as a debit card. I haven't been hit with any interest. All that's happened is now I've paid off that $2,000 at the end of the month and gotten $20 in rewards points that I can then either cash out into my checking account or put it towards my next credit card statement. But either way, it's $20 of value. So essentially, you just wind up paying 99% of everything you pay for, which adds up, you know? Um, The problem is... (laughs) uh, The credit card companies bank on the fact that like, yeah, dude, one of these months, you're going to not be able to pay it off in full, or it might be beneficial for you to like leave a little bit on your balance just to have some extra cushion in your checking account. And when they hit that with interest, then you let that ride long enough, they're going to make that money back and then some. So these things are all worked out. But the thing to think about here is in everything in life, um, there is a way to not get fucked. The problem is you have to be really good at not getting fucked, sports gambling included. You can sign up for a, for a sports gambling book and make money off of them, off the sign-up bonuses, and delete your fucking account afterwards, and you have won. Um, but you just got to just gotta know how to play the game a little bit. And for some people, it's just not worth it, which I understand. For me, it was worth it today. Um, and now I'm realizing it's not worth it. It wasn't worth it. I signed up for Fliff. They had this... Uh, First of all, their their entire site is based off deception. Lies and deception. I don't think it's technically a sports book. It's kind of this weird interface. It looks like Candy Crush. It kind of reminds me of like a Wii, Nintendo Wii lobby. Like everything's very cartoony. And you don't deposit money. You you buy Fliff Cash. And Fliff Cash, a dollar in Fliff Cash, uh, I don't know how they managed to work this out. But... Believe it or not, wouldn't you know that the exchange rate from the American U.S. dollar to $1 in Fliff Cash is exact? So $1 of Fliff Cash equals one American dollar. So you purchase these Fliff Bucks or whatever, and then you can wager these imaginary Fliff Bucks on any sports bet you want. I'm not betting money. I'm betting Fliff Bucks. Your Honor, Your Honor, where does it say in the Constitution that I cannot bet fliff cash? It's the day after President's Day. Where did Tommy J say that? I don't think he did. Anyway, so I, I, I took advantage of this promo. They said, buy $50 in fliff cash and get 100 Now, that, of course, means you get... that you paid for, and then 50 extra fliff bucks. Oh, how fliftastic. And then, right next to it, for some reason, 
is another offer that says buy a hundred dollars in fliff cash and receive 150 and if you're an idiot like me you go dude that's 150 fliff bucks i've never dreamed of so much fliff cash (laughs) and so i click that fuck it man i'll fucking deposit 100 bucks Cash out 150 flifferoos, and I'm rolling in the dough, baby. So I do that like an idiot. And then as soon as I click confirm, it occurs to me that, wow, you just paid twice as much for the same amount of bonuses. Like if you deposited 50, you'd get 50 extra dollars in flip bucks. If you deposited 100, you get 50 extra dollars in flip bucks. Why does that matter? Why don't you? Well, just withdraw the money then, Jim. What's the big fucking deal? Why do you why do you come in here every day, Jim, and waste our fucking time talking about shit that has obvious, very reasonable, and easy to come by solutions? Do you even plan shows? The answer to the last part of that is not really. But the answer to the first part of that is it's not that simple. Person, hypothetical antagonist. It's not that simple. You see, in order to redeem that money, you have to place bets. Now, for anybody who's ever dealt in the gambling world, this would be kind of a given. You don't just get to deposit money, get free money, and then withdraw it. At the very least, you obviously have to bet the free bet. You can't just cash it out for $50, right? So I understood that. But essentially what I did was, was lock myself into not just having to bet through $100 to redeem the cash, but now I have to bet through $150, 50 of which is not, 50 of which was bonus bucks. But so what happens is if I, I've now increased my odds of losing. And I got in this argument with my brother and, and my friend about this. They were like, dude, like it clearly says this, that, the third. And I'm like, okay, I understand it clearly says that. In this case, it does say that. Now, I wouldn't say, go as far as to say clearly. What it does is it, it you see a bigger number, and it, it, the, I think they know this. Look, casinos and, and sports books and things like that, Vegas as a whole, that whole industry, their entire business model is based off of, you know, making something seem better than it is and kind of like tricking you, like tricking you into sitting at the roulette table thinking you can win, tricking you into playing blackjack, tricking you into the slot machine, all these things. Like, it's like very programmed, like like a, a ton of research, like billions and billions of dollars go into the, psycho- the psychology of these games. Like even the slot machines, they, they're programmed to like, you know, you're like trying to get like three in a row and like a bunch of time, they're programmed to like give you two in a row, like a certain amount of times, which kind of like makes you want to try again because you feel like you're like getting close or whatever, which again, all these things sound like ridiculous things until you find yourself sitting at a slot machine, which luckily I I don't do that. That's like, that's like grandma games to me. My yaya loves the slots. I can't imagine just going to a casino to play the slot machine. I, I, my, my yaya had a slot machine at her house and I would just play that for free, you know, if that's what you want to do. But all of these things are made and, and, and worded a certain way to deceive you. 
They should have said bet $50, win $50 in flip cash. Because that's, I mean, not bet, deposit. That's what you're actually doing. You're depositing money and then getting extra money. If you deposit $100, you are not winning $150. You're getting the $100 that you put in and then winning $50 more. That's the psychology of it. All the sports books do that. When you place a bet on FanDuel, let's say you place a $10 bet and you win. It'll say, hey, you won 20 bucks. You didn't win 20 bucks. You won 10. You got the 10 that you bet back plus 10 more. But they word it in that way purposely to, to entice you to gamble more because you think you're winning more than you actually are. So, no, I, I, I acknowledge that I was played by this promo deal. I also acknowledge that the way it was worded was convenient. And I also acknowledge that the, the section of the terms of agreement where it stipulates that you have to bet through all of this in order to win it back or redeem it was buried about 17 paragraphs into the terms of agreement in like a two-sentence section that was nowhere, anywhere near where you would be able to find it. It wasn't at the top. It wasn't at the bottom. It was like buried in the middle. And that, again, is purposeful. So I don't know. I I, I kind of, I, I brought this up just because I knew I couldn't get to any other topics before I vented about that. So now that I have, now that I've gotten that off my chest, I feel as if we can move on to things that actually matter in life. Um, but it is something about like, even just that, the terms and conditions, that's something that's like, it's, it's kind of vague how that works online. Um, I believe that there, there was an issue like a a lawsuit or a civil case or something like that kind of a while ago at this point, it may have been in regards to Apple where they would just kind of include all this wildly ridiculous shit in their terms of agreement when you like signed up for something and then uh, people had no idea what they were like agreeing to. Like it was like we reserve the right to like sell your data or like, I don't even know. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm just making shit up. But like, it was like stuff that like, if if you ever like came out and said, hey, um, by clicking agree, you give us the right to do this, this, this. If it was listed that clearly, way less people would have clicked accept. That's my point. And you can make the argument that's like, well, hey, you know, I put it in there. You know, if you didn't read the 50-page terms of agreement, that's on you. And it's like, maybe you can make that argument, but like, there's got to be a limit. There's got to be a limit. I mean, at what point do we not say, look, dude, if you're going to have a terms of agreement for something as menial as just registering to a website like Facebook, like there, as a, as a social media user, especially 10 years ago, before all this stuff came out about how they're using your data and all and spying on you and fucking targeting you and shit. People had no reasonable um, expectation or suspicion 
of being that uh, violated by a fucking social media website. Like, I mean, MySpace, for instance. Like, we, we were on MySpace. We were just doing shit, whatever, having fun. Facebook comes along, and then it comes out years later that they are, that, like, we agreed to all this shit, and it's like, okay, yeah, you did include that in the terms of agreement, but there's got to be a certain argument of, like, context here. Like, yeah, when I go to the car dealership and I sign a loan for a car, that is a situation where everyone is on the same page. We all understand what we're doing here. This is a major financial transaction full of all kinds of terms. Of when are the payments due? What's the percentage interest? All these things. And so, yeah, that's a situation where you can reasonably expect that somebody is going to go through page by page and they even make you do that page by page. Initial here, sign here, initial here. They don't just have, I mean, think about that because now that I'm talking about it, I'm really, uh, you know, thinking about it. When you actually sign a legal document of any consequence, you don't just go through a 12-page, 20-page fucking document and then sign at the end, one signature. That's not how it works. I don't know if you've bought a car or a, a, a home, but I'm pretty sure when you sign a mortgage, you don't just have a big stack of 60 pages of, of legal shit and then, and then just one page is like, sign here. No, you've got to sit there with a fucking pen and, okay, sign here, initial here, date here, this, you're signing like 60 different things. Why? Because it's not enough to just present a giant stack of words to you and expect that you're going to have the legal wherewithal or the diligence. Um, like it's not even just the, the level of wanting to read it. It's also the ability to comprehend what you're reading. I mean, these documents are not exactly written in everyday English. They're written in legal mumbo-jumbo jargon that the average person is not used to having to interpret. And so you're faced with all these things, and that's why you have to go through page by page. And then the agent at the car place or your real estate agent is like, okay, so basically what this page says is, you're agreeing to this, that, and this. You have to do this by this date, and this has to happen by then, and you have to close this. And then you go, okay, got it, and then you initial. So when you're, when you're signing on to a terms of agreement on a website, there is nothing like that. Nothing like it. So it's hard for me to imagine yet that, 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 they can, that the, those agreements can actually be held to the same legal founding as something more legitimate. Uh, and I, I've obviously moved on from the Fliff thing into a relevant conversation to everybody, thank God. But uh, that that is like an interesting concept to me because, again, with the social media thing, it's like when you're signing up to a website to like, follow your friends and see their statuses and post pictures of yourself and ha 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 in a relationship. It's complicated. Post on someone's wall. Like I'm talking like old Facebook. People had no reason to expect that they were in any way potentially exposing themselves to this level of, of a violation of privacy. 
And so they're going to see a terms of agreement and just be like, okay, dude, can I just fucking post my pictures on Facebook, please? We just had an awesome party. I want to post. I want to, I want to like this girl's uh, profile picture. Can I just fucking sign up? Meanwhile, Facebook's like, we reserve the right to repossess your car if you uh, say something negative about the vaccine. <laughs> like, you don't even fucking know what the fuck you're agreeing to. It's ridiculous. So, I don't know. That's that. Moving on. Speaking of stuff that most certainly doesn't matter. Um, I guess, you know, in the news this week, there's this guy, Alexei Navalny. You guys know I'm a big Russian now, right? It's like, I, I enjoyed going through that, uh, I enjoyed going through that interview, that Tucker Carlson interview. And I don't, I, don't, I mean, I've been thinking about it a lot because that was, that was like a week and a half ago at this point when, when that interview came out. But more importantly, when I released my coverage of the interview, I feel like is really the, the date of remembrance here. Um, I don't want to be perceived as like a quote unquote Putin apologist. Uh, and I, I think I even said that in that episode that like, look, love him or hate him, it has no bearing on whether or not you can acknowledge that this is a strong leader. Strong is not necessarily a good or bad force. It depends on where the strength is directed. If you have a strong evil force or a strong good force, those are two vastly different things. The thing they have in common is they are strong. So by saying someone is a strong leader, that is not the same as saying someone is a good leader or that they, uh, I guess, depending on how you want to define good leader, do you mean a good leader as in someone who's leading their people in a good direction or someone who's just good at leading and, and commanding people? Because those are two different things. You can be good at leading people in an evil direction. I'm not trying to parse words here, but I, I feel like in some instances it is important to, uh, you know, make sure that we're all speaking the same language. So in regards to Putin, this thing comes out where there was this guy, Alexei Navalny, who was like uh, the leader of this, uh, I'm reading, Russian Opposition Coordination Council, the ROCC, The Rock. Can you smell what The Rock is cooking? For audio viewers, I'm doing a very bad eyebrow raise. So <laughs> you probably lucked out by just listening to the audio in that one. Um, no, he's a leader of this Russian opposition party, um, you know, constantly trying to call out the corruption of the Putin government, whatever. The guy, the Putin's been in power since 2000, working on 25 years, quarter of a century. So it goes without saying that there's some corruption involved with that. And he's considered to be Putin's number one, like, threat as an opponent or whatever. So of course he's in jail. Now, there this guy, I don't know anything about this guy beyond that. People say that he's also a piece of shit. That's not hard to imagine. Um most people that are leaders of power movements tend to not be great people because there's and I know that sounds crazy, but there's a certain type of person that craves power. Um, and, uh, to take it back to 
the words of Socrates, uh, the problem with government uh, is that anyone who craves a position of power is the last person that should be in a position of power. So I think that's poignant, poignant. I meant to make the G silent. I wound up making every letter silent in that word. Poignant. It's poignant. Um, so this guy may very well be, be a piece of shit himself. I don't know. The point is he's in some Siberian penal colony, which I imagine has got to be the worst thing ever. Uh, we learned yesterday in my lecture about the human race <laughs> and evolution and the migration of Homo sapiens throughout Northeast and West Asia um, that the Siberian Peninsula is like the northwesternmost point of Russia, Asia, like literally like almost touches Alaska on our side. You know, remember, the Earth is a circle, which is crazy. That's right. I said it. The Earth is a circle, not a sphere, a flat circle. Um, so it's cold as shit and he's up there and he dies in prison. Um, the Russian government announces two minutes later that he had died. Uh, he, his official cause of death is sudden death syndrome. That's right. Uh, sudden death. Overtime. This man died for the same reason. Uh, you can lose by a field goal in 2011 NFL. Sudden death. Uh, so that's a ridiculous um, conclusion, I would wager. And so obviously the speculation is uh, that he was killed by Putin. Um, he was poisoned. And that's why they have not been releasing him for autopsy or something along those lines. Because... Uh, They'd want the traces of whatever nerve agent they use to like not be found. Um, because last time they had already attempted to poison him, poison him before. Um, and the people that treated him in a hospital, he, he, he went. So, so I, as you can tell, have not dived deep into this subject. That's not really what I consider to be my job. I'm just talking about things that I have heard. Um, he has previously been, uh, poisoned by the same people and went and got medical care in, I believe, Germany, um, where they found traces of this nerve agent that is notoriously used by Putin and his, his boys, his favorite poison, the Putin poison, um, which hilariously enough landed him another charge and a longer sentence, I believe, because he, he violated his parole, uh, by leaving the country to get medical treatment in another country because he doesn't want to be treated in a hospital in the country of that just tried to poison and kill him. That makes sense. So he went to another country to get treated and that landed him another however many years in this penal colony, um, which is hilarious a little bit. <laughs> Hey, dude, we were trying to kill you, <laughs> and you left? What the fuck? What's the hurry? So anyway, that's a thing. Putin poisons his political opposition. And, and the reason I bring this up is not to talk about Putin 
we all acknowledge Putin's got his problems. Um, uh, but I brought this up to kind of talk about what Ben Shapiro had to say about it. Now, to be completely forthcoming, I do listen to Ben Shapiro on a regular basis. Maybe not every day, but I do listen to him. Um, I have kind of a love-hate relationship with Ben. He has a non-existent relationship with me. So there you have it. Um, I think that he is smart and I think he's an excellent debater. I don't necessarily think he is the best person to be the kind of like cutting edge of the conservative movement because he kind of embodies all the stereotypes that non-conservatives have about conservatives that were like kind of tone deaf, nerdy, squares, not cool, just in general, you know, very literal, not very imaginative, not creative, things like that. And um, not as an insult to Ben, but unfortunately he does kind of exhibit those characteristics. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure he'd be the coolest guy to like party with. But I do acknowledge that he is, I mean, he seems like a likable guy. I wouldn't mind hanging out with him. I just don't think that he'd be like down to hit the town, you know? He's very conservative in that way. Um, And, you know, things that like, (sighs) conservatives, I've said before, there's a problem. Uh, I'm going to use the example of this thing that just came out. It was a big song. Facts. Tom McDonald. I think it was his name, Tom McDonald. Let me make sure that because that's uh, that's a pretty stupid thing to fuck up. Facts. Uh, Tom McDonald. Yeah. Yeah, that's him. Tom McDonald. Um, and then Ben Shapiro does a verse in it. So he's like featuring. The lyrics were good. But even with that, if you listen to the song, it's, I'll, I'll play it. I'll play, I'll play Ben Shapiro's verse because a lot of people that are listening to this maybe have not heard it, you know? And I, I always try to, I, I, I started this show wanting to pull up clips and then I just feel like I never do. I feel like I never do. So let me, let me get Ben Shapiro's verse up here. Um, I'm I'm almost certain he didn't write the lyrics to the verse, but uh, they're pretty, they're good. It's just, but the way he raps it. So like here. So the hook is pretty fire. I'm not going to lie. Let's look at the stats. I've got the facts. My money like Liz and my pockets are fat. Homie, I'm epic. Don't be a whap. Dog, it's a yarmulke. Homie, no cap. Look at the graphs. Look at my charts. You're blowing money on strippers and cars. You go into prison. I'm on television. Dogs, no one knows who you are. Keep hating. 
hating on me on the internet my comment section all woke Karen's and I make racks off compound interest y'all live with your parents Nikki take some notes I just did this for fun all my people download this let's get a billboard number one this ain't rap this ain't money so, uh, like I said, the lyrics, don't be a WAP. That's pretty funny. Don't be a WAP. Don't be a wet ass pussy. Cause that was another thing he kind of went viral for was like doing this like extremely cringe, cringe. It was so cringe reading of, uh, uh, the song WAP with Cardi B and I believe Nikki and, um, what's her face? Megan the Stallion. It, was Nikki involved in that? I don't know. Um, so they referenced that. Uh, this is a yarmulke, homie, no cap. That's pretty funny. The last line is like annoying. Everybody download this. Let's get a billboard number one. The thing that I would say is, Ben, why can't you like try to rap? Like I get you think it's stupid, but you also did agree to do this. And I know you can do better than that. Ben will tell you himself that he is a classically trained musician. If you're a classically trained musician, then fucking hit the pocket, baby. Fall in the pocket. You got to have your rap voice. If I was a rapper, which I used to be, one of the all-time Towson High School Grays freestylers, <laughs> I was good at freestyling before anybody like tried to be good at freestyling. And then once people actually started trying to be rappers, I was, I was like nothing in comparison. Um, but I used to just freestyle for fun in like middle school. And so it was just like a, an art um, but like, dude, like when you're rapping, everybody knows you got to have a rap voice, dude. You can't just come out like, I'm going to talk. This is how I talk. Blah, 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 blah. It's like, dude, you, you have you ever listened to a rap song before? Yeah. <laughs> I hope I offend you. Everything's got to be like, yeah, yeah. Don't be a wet. Like, I know you can do that, Ben. And it doesn't have to be exactly like that. But like, I don't know. Because what happens is when a song like this comes out, and I hate to say it because I like the message of this song, um, but the problem with the conservative movement is all of our shit that tries to be culturally relevant comes off as a parody or purposely ironic, um, which is not the same as putting out a piece of art that captures the sentiments of an ideology or a movement um, or a way of thinking, whatever you want to call it, um, that actually just resonates with people and doesn't make its whole thing like, this is what we're doing. Like, we're conservatives and we're going to make a song about conservatism. You know what I mean? I, I maybe Maybe there are conservatives that would that would disagree with me and say, dude, you know, like, you know, they're pushing good messages, they're pushing conservative messages, like, all the things they're talking about, like, you know, don't be a victim, this, that, the thing. Uh, my pronouns, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. That's pretty sweet. But, like, so I would say Tom McDonald's verse is like that, but I, I the, the inclusion of Ben in the song is both good and bad. It's good because clearly this song got way bigger than it probably would have ever gotten without Ben Shapiro. Not that this song is bad, um, but, you know, I just don't think this would have been a Billboard number one song uh, if it was just the song without Ben Shapiro. So that's a good thing. The bad thing 
is it's a popular song, but it's kind of a meme. It's kind of a meme. And so in that regard, the conservatives don't really have a W um, in this category to say we put out a song that like fucking just regardless of what mainstream media wants you to think this resonated with people on this level. It's like somewhat, but also people were pushing the shit out of it because it was kind of funny that Ben Shapiro was rapping. So if you're a conservative and you already agree with the situation, you think it's a good thing, but it didn't really change anyone's minds on the other side, I guess is the point, which is kind of the pitfall of politics today and maybe all throughout history, but but particularly in the modern day, which is everyone's just kind of competing to gain points on their own side. And so we do things that are increasingly more resonant with the people that already agree with us, which, and both sides are doing that, which just leads to us becoming more and more divided. And so I, again, I don't think that these type of things lead toward any type of seeing eye to eye, which, you know, I don't think that the liberal side is doing that either, obviously. So, you know, I, I, I would just, I, I didn't want to dwell on this, this particular topic because it's not the reason I brought any of this up, but it's just, it's just something I've noticed. Um, uh, in regards to today's topic about this Alexi thing, again, Ben's take on Trump's tweet about this Alexi Navalny thing I think kind of encapsulates the the issue that I have with him. And this is coming from a person who listens to him on a regular basis. I consider him probably the primary source of like actual serious political news content that I that I consume. So this is like, I guess I would say constructive criticism. This is not me attacking him. Um, it's just something... I think. So let me play this clip. This is in regards to that Alexei Navalny, uh, I guess that's how you pronounce his name, getting killed by Putin. And Trump goes on Truth Social, which by the way, Trump, please come back to Twitter, dude. I tell you what, Trump being on Truth Social and Truth Social not popping off kind of is the same situation as when Joe Rogan moved exclusively to Spotify and I haven't checked the numbers on this, but I have to imagine he gets less listeners than he used to. I have to imagine that. It kind of shows how powerful the platforms are. Like when you could take Trump, who's arguably the most recognizable name, at least in America, and then a guy like Joe Rogan, who is the most recognizable name in podcasting and comedy and UFC and whatever. Um, and they can move to a platform. And the thought is that, well, you know, if a guy with that type of audience goes to this platform, then it's just going to bring all these people to this platform. And it's like, that hasn't really proven to be true. I haven't joined, I, I, I enjoyed, you know, reading Trump's tweets, but not enough for me to, for me to move to truth social. And I feel like that's the case for a lot of people. Like at the end of the day, like I still want to be on Twitter. Sorry. 
Maybe that makes me a pussy. I don't know. Like I used to listen to Joe Rogan a lot when his episodes would just pop up on YouTube. But the second it became this thing on Spotify where it's like now I have to like watch it on my phone because I can't get Spotify on my TV. So now I'm just going to sit here and, and watch a video cast on my fucking cell phone for three hours or however long his episodes are. Like, it, it, I'm sorry. Like, now I'm just going to watch clips on YouTube of Joe Rogan. And maybe if there's a really, really, like, interesting guest that I want to see, will I listen to it on Spotify? But I probably listen to a Joe Rogan episode at this point once every two or three months. So... And again, I'm just one person, but I have to imagine that's the case for a lot of people. And I'm not necessarily sure if uh, he tapped into some wide Spotify audience that somehow wasn't aware of him until he came to Spotify. So he definitely made his money on that deal. But I guess the overarching point is you definitely, uh, the platform has a lot of power. It really does. And we see that all the time. So anyway, this is Ben Shapiro discussing Trump's, what, are, what do you call them on Truth Social? Not a tweet. A truth. This is Trump's truth that he posted on Truth Social. And this is Ben Shapiro's take. Here we go. Okay, so Donald Trump then put out a comment on Navalny after several days of not saying anything. And he said, the sudden death of Alexei Navalny has made me more and more aware of what is happening in our country. It is a slow, steady progression with crooked, radical left politicians, prosecutors, and judges leading us down a path to destruction. Open borders, rigged elections, grossly unfair courtroom decisions are destroying America. We are a nation in decline, a failing nation, MAGA 2024. Okay, so there are a few things to a plus, be said about in my this. opinion. One, the last half where he talks about the decline of the country and the militarization of the Justice Department, militarization of our judicial system, all of that part's true. It is totally wrong for Donald Trump to compare that to the judicial arraignment, arrest, without process, without due process, without real charges, jailing and murder of Vladimir Putin's political opponents. Why? And it's wrong for two reasons. One, okay. it suggests that the state of play in the United States is similar to the state of play in Russia, which degrades the United States. Things are bad in the United States. They ain't nearly as bad as they are in Russia. Mm. That is a difference in kind. And we should recognize that because, again, many of these problems are fixable with, say, elections, or, okay. say, with moving, or, say, with impeachment of bad judges. And the same is not true remotely in Russia. So it's, it's problematic to compare America to Russia for two reasons. One, it degrades the actual state of play in the United States. When you hear journalists traveling abroad and decrying the state of censorship in the United States, in Russia, where they literally kill the dissidents, that's a bad look. It's not true. Okay, but it also happens to downgrade the scale of what's happening in Russia, the state of evil that is happening in Russia. And Vladimir Putin is, in fact, a corrupt dictator. I know this has become unpopular to say in some circles. I don't know why. You can even make the case. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut it off there. Um, yeah, I disagree. I disagree. I think that, that we're, I think that maybe we're missing out, Ben and I, you know, us peers in the media industry. Uh, we're not quite seeing eye to eye on, first of all, the definition of compare or the definition of the word similar. To compare something does not mean necessarily to equate two things. Equating means that they are equal. If I'm going to equate the situation in Russia to the situation in America, that would be obviously a false equation. Um, clearly, 
the political corruption and the way they go about it in Russia has surpassed, long surpassed, and far surpassed, probably, anything going on in the United States. It's much more blatant. It's much more in your face. I don't think there's a single person in Russia that actually thinks that this Navalny guy just suddenly died. I, I don't even know if sudden deaths. I know it's a. I know sudden infant death is a thing. I don't know if sudden adult death is a thing. I never heard of that. So, sad. Sudden adult death syndromes. Like that's not a thing. Clearly, this guy was killed. They tried to kill him before. This time, they were successful. So that's not the same as let's say the persecution, if you will, only if you will. The persecution, if you will, of of Trump in in America, it's not it's not equal, but there is a comparison, and comparing means to say this is is correlated. Like these two things share similarities. Like yes, in in Russia, if you oppose the power structure the people that actually pull the strings you will be killed blatantly it's so it's there it's there's such a imbalance of power that they don't even really feel the need to pretend that it's anything other than what it is it is in your face if you go against us we will disappear you it's that simple that's russia However, I would argue that there are many similarities in how the political opposition in this country has been regarded and treated. Sure, they're not poisoning Trump. They would if they could. Um, They're not killing political dissidents. But... It's almost inarguable. It's almost inarguable. And I I don't want to turn this into a whole political thing. But I do just want to make a few points. I just want to bring a couple things to the table after I light this incense here. There we go. The first thing I want to bring to the table is this, this past week, Trump was just found... I don't know, not guilty because that's a criminal thing, but he's found liable to pay something like $352 million or something like that for some case in New York where it was ruled that he, I guess, exaggerated or overstated the value of his Mar-a-Lago property to use as collateral for another loan, um, a loan which he paid off in full with interest uh, to the bank that agreed to it. Um, And then, so the bank didn't care. And, and I don't know all the ins and outs of how property evaluations work, uh, you know, but I'm pretty sure it's kind of just a given that like, yeah, um, when you're trying to sell something, you're going to want to overstate the value and see how much you can get for it. And when you're trying to buy something, you're going to want to see how little you can pay for it. That's just kind of how the market works. And when you're dealing in the millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, as are these financial transactions that we're discussing, to imagine that Trump simply just 
gave them a number for his property, and the bank was just like, sure, whatever you want, boom, stamped. To imagine that they didn't do any type of diligence of their own, uh, due diligence, whatever, do due diligence, uh, and, and approve that loan, and rightfully approve that loan because it was paid off in full, to imagine that's not the case, and then to then imagine that both parties involved are completely satisfied with the deal, no issues whatsoever, and then the state of New York, uh, led by Miss Letitia James, um, who did campaign for her position as, I believe, the state's attorney, on the main message of, I will find Trump guilty of something. Now, I will prosecute Trump. That was her That was her thing. Not we're going to deal with the crime in New York City. Not we're going to fix this. Not we're going to prosecute this. Not we're going to do it. I will find Trump guilty of something. I don't know what it is yet, but if you vote me, I will find him guilty of something. And so she did. To imagine that a non-plaintiff party, a party, a non-damaged party raised this case and not just this, because that's a one thing. That's one thing. If that was all there is, then we could just disagree on that. We could disagree in general, but in particular, I would, I would think nothing of it if somebody said like, well, Jim, that's just, that's just like your opinion, man. That's just like, you know, okay, fine. But when you combine it, I mean, I, I kind of wish I had just like a list of every single accusation and court case and whatever that has been level levied against this man in the past eight years. It's insane. One individual case. Sure. You disagree with the ruling. Great. This is also in the midst of another case with, uh, what's her name? E. Jean Carroll, the, uh, uh, your mom's weird friend uh, who accused him of like sexually assaulting her in a clothing store like 30 years ago or something. And in the case itself, the jury found that I think, I believe the accusation accusation was he shoved her into like a dressing room and then like, I guess like humped her a bunch and ejaculated. That was like the accusation. And this woman you could watch clips of it on your own. I'm sure you've already seen it. Clips of her on CNN. She's just a very obvious wackadoodle. Um, and in the case it's, itself, it was found that, yeah, that the way you describe it, that's not what happened. However, the jury still did find uh, that he, I guess, fingered her or something. Was this middle school court? We, the jury, found that the former president did get to third base with Miss Carroll. <laughs> so they just changed the story and found him guilty of that. So they basically said, the shit that you said happened did not happen. But we'll extend you an olive branch. How about we just agree to say that this happened instead? And she went, sure. Does that mean I get $30 million? Well, of course. Okay, fine. Yeah, then sure, he fingered me. Does that work? Yeah, it works. Cool. Okay. So then Trump goes on the thing and says, uh, this woman's crazy 
this is all a hoax, blah, 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 blah. And now he gets in more legal trouble for that. So simply him stating his innocence and claiming that the other person is a liar who accused him of this thing that the court itself found did not happen. Now he's in legal trouble for that. Then you combine it with the January 6th trials, the Mueller report, the Russia investigation, the Ukraine call. Um, I mean, the, the two impeachments, the list goes, the list goes on to the point where you, at what point do people become like nose blind to it? Like you can't even sense, like people don't even know if you say like the Trump allegations, people don't even know which one you're talking about because there's like literally 17. And when it gets to that point, especially when it gets to the point that virtually every single one of these things, if you really look into it, does not seem to hold any water whatsoever. Whatsoever. At what point does, do you start to wonder, is this all bullshit? Why are they doing it? I'm expected to believe one of two things. Either this man is the biggest fuck up in every facet of life in the history of mankind. You name a thing, he fucked it up. You can believe that. And maybe there are people that believe that. I mean, I'm thinking of crooked politicians. Let's see. I'm thinking of like maybe Hillary Clinton. There's a ton of conspiracies about, conspiracies about Hillary Clinton, which she does. And that's like maybe four. Pay to play when she was secretary of state, the Benghazi thing, the emails, the Epstein connection with Bill Clinton, whatever, if you want to throw him in there too. This is like one of the most corrupt politicians in history. And, and I can think of four accusations that have actually made it to any level of, of, of coverage. So you can either believe that first thing, that this guy Trump has just beyond belief fucked everything up and every single one of these accusations of every single thing he's done, even though he hasn't been found guilty of any of it necessarily, uh, that's what's going on. Or is there a potential? Is there a small, eensy, teensy, tiny bit of potential that... What we are witnessing is the powers that be in this country recognizing that the person that they have to put up against Trump for this election cycle, Joe Biden, simply is not viable. Now, you can say what you want to say about the election of 2020. I have never gone on the hill to say that there, you know, election fraud and things like that. There's a lot of different definitions of election fraud. And I think a lot of those boxes are checked. Obviously the media influence, obviously the censorship, obviously the mail-in ballots, obviously all those things are examples of, of, of an unfair election, a non-democratic election. If you want to venture beyond that, 
and debate whether or not there were actual physically changed or fraudulent votes counted. To be honest, I'm open to it. I'm open to it. Uh, again, I'm not going to sit here and definitively say, yeah, that happened. But can you blame me after seeing everything that I've seen and the way that these situations have been handled and the way I've seen things in general handled? And the way that you go around, we, we all understand that in other countries, we, we hear of stolen elections all the time. For some reason, to question that in any way in this country is completely off the table. Completely off the table. To question the validity of your democracy is actually a threat to democracy. That seems counterintuitive. You would think that the only way that you can ensure that your democracy still exists is to constantly make sure that it does. But that's not the way we treat things in this country. So instead, we have a situation now where even if, let's, let, okay, let, let's, let's entertain both possibilities. Possibility number one, the possibility that we all, I guess, agree upon at this point, or the, the accepted narrative is that Joe Biden received more votes than any other president in an election in history, more than Barack Obama, more than George Washington, more than just more people voted for Joe Biden than any other candidate in history. Donald Trump, coincidentally, that same year got more votes than any other president in history, except Joe Biden. So in the 2020 election, both candidates received more votes than any other presidential candidate in history. We are meant to believe that Donald Trump lost a bunch of support from 2016 going into 2020, although he got millions more votes. Okay. That narrative does not hold up in 2024. If there was some shady shit going down and Joe Biden wins again, to me, there is no way that the American public could accept that that's what actually happened. There's no way. Joe Biden has deteriorated to a point that is obvious to everyone. I heard a clip earlier, I think it was Amy Klobuchar, another Democratic senator or something, discussing on some news show or something that like 
yeah, I was sitting with the president here or wherever, and, you know, he, he seems very on the ball. He was very just, you know, right on topic and everything. It's like when you get to the point where even your defenders are literally like their idea of talking you up is just to ensure you that he's not senile. Like not being senile should be a prerequisite to being president, not a uh, a green flag not like oh wait this guy's this guy's completely with it oh well okay like no like that should be a given and so when the people that are your biggest supporters are now sitting here and have gotten to the point where they're now just literally arguing that he hasn't completely lost it that should say something it said something to me so I don't think the narrative flies. I think that whether the election is fair or unfair, if it's fair, the Democrats know they are going to lose if Trump runs. If it's unfair, the Democrats know that even if the election were to be stolen in favor of Joe Biden, it wouldn't be believable. It wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't fit. It wouldn't work this time. And so I believe that the game plan at this point that we're witnessing right in front of our eyes every day is watching them pull every possible stop to try to eliminate Trump from contention. We've already seen it with him being removed from ballots in certain states, which were insignificant, didn't matter, but they're, they're attempts. But really what's going on, it seems to be, is to bog this man down with as many legal things as possible. Hit him with 350 million here, hit him with a couple million here, hit him with a billion there, keep him from running this business, keep him from being able to do this, keep him from this bout. And every single stop to try to undermine his campaign. And to me, that seems fairly obvious. It kind of, like, I don't even know if they're really trying to hide the ball anymore as it pertains to that. I don't even know if, 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 if Democrats could honestly sit here and say, like, these charges are not politically motivated. Even if they are legitimate charges, even if you believe that they are legitimate charges, just the raw timing of it itself and the fact that he, of all people, is being charged with these things that aren't, I mean, yeah, I guess you could technically find people guilty, of, like Stalin said, show me the man, I'll show you the crime. I mean, that's like a, that's like a tenant of, of authoritarianism. Show me the man, I'll show you the crime. You could probably go into any person's financial history in this country and find them guilty of something. The only difference is the magnitude. So to me, it seems fairly obvious what's going on. And I know that it's not the same. I know that it's not equal to 
assassinating him. Not that that hasn't happened in this country. But when you look at even the way the January 6th thing has been handled, I mean, there are people that, that are, are spending 20 years, 30 years in prison for essentially a riot. It's called an insurrection. I don't know how anybody can say that with a straight face. When I talk to somebody now, it's like, yeah, am I going to sit here and defend January 6th and say it was a good thing? No. I wasn't there. I don't have anything to fucking hide. I didn't know that was happening. I found out about it afterwards. And I wouldn't have been there if I, if I had known beforehand. But I remember, what, on what grounds, like what, in their eyes, what was the, pl- there, there, in order, this, it had to be an organized overthrow of the, like an organ, not a single gun, people broke into the Capitol, all this footage has been withheld, you can't, in, in many cases, we don't know how many people were plants in the crowd, we don't, the Capitol Police was vastly understaffed for, for inexplicable reasons, um, there's literally footage of, of police just escorting people around the fucking Capitol building. To me, it, it, it screams everything of a setup. Now, look, the conservatives still had to be stupid to fall into the trap. And so in that way, they were played. But to then take this story, which is exactly what they wanted to do, and turn it into this violent insurrection. What was the plan? That we're going to send a bunch of people into the Capitol building to run around and like, if for the most part, just kind of wander around. Maybe a couple people like pissed or shit in a urinal or something. I don't fucking know. Like middle school antics. And then equate that, equate, equal sign to... The plan here was for them to wander around the Capitol so hard that they were going to take over the government. Is that an insurrection? And then people that were present are being sentenced to decades in prison for, again, essentially what was a riot. I got in an argument with a friend of mine a couple years ago right after this happened. And I said, you know, the, the, the George Floyd riots went on in this country in multiple cities for multiple weeks. Billions of dollars in property damage, uh, government buildings vandalized, destroyed, burned to the ground, entire sections of cities taken over. Like, like that, that, place in, I think it was either Seattle or uh, Portland or one of those like crunchy cities up there in the Northwest, uh, Chaz or Chop, Chop Chaz or whatever the fuck it was. They just like occupied an entire section of the city and had like their own mini like commune there for like weeks. Again, people riding the streets, attacking police officers, burning down buildings, breaking shit, looting shit. Many, many, many deaths uh, as a result. 
And I remember saying that to my friend and him going, and then, and then saying, there were like two people killed, maybe one person killed in the, in the, uh, in the uh, January 6th insurrection. And it was a woman being shot by the Capitol police. And then like, for some reason, four or three or four or some, uh, a handful of pe- people in the Capitol police like committed suicide in the weeks following, which is odd. And I guess the story is uh, they were just so upset with what they saw that they just killed themselves. That's a weird take. That's kind of a, that's kind of a stretch, is it not? Oh, I'm just so disappointed in my country. I don't know. I don't know. I think a lot of people had a lot of feelings about that day. Uh, that's just kind of a sketchy explanation. It's, it, it, it's kind of giving sudden death syndrome. Not saying anything beyond that. I'm just saying it's giving that. Gen Z, you know what I'm talking about. So I said to my friend, I said, you know, you know, the George Floyd protests, the Black Lives Matter protests was obviously, you know, from the liberal side of things, the progressive side, more specifically. Tons of deaths, billions in property damage, occupying cities, whatever, looting, whatever. And then I compare that to what happened on January 6th. And he said, yeah, but January 6th was only one day. As if to say, you can't compare like the death count and the amount of property damage and the amount of all these things that happened because January 6th is only one day and the George Floyd things were like a month and a half. To which I replied, that's the point. That's literally the point. You just said the point. The point is that entire section of this country were under threat and occupied and destroyed and people killed for multiple weeks in the spring of 2020. In the midst of COVID, for some reason, you couldn't do shit in May 2020. You couldn't go to the gym. You couldn't go to work. You couldn't visit your family in the hospital. Well, you could go ride in the streets and burn down some buildings. As long as you were fighting for, for, for George Floyd, COVID was going to, that, that actually, that was actually apparently more of an effective vaccination than the vaccine. Because if you were rioting against the government in the midst of the George Floyd riots, you were apparently immune to COVID. So maybe that was the solution. Maybe we should just be constantly rioting and burning down government buildings and occupying sections of cities in the name of uh, police brutality, because that apparently was the most successful way to evade COVID-19. And maybe some people went to jail for that, not for too long. It's, I guess the point I'm getting at without trying to get too far into it is uh, there's a lot of developments happening right now. I'm trying to stay abreast but uh, it's becoming increasingly more clear to me that the level of political persecution 
that we are witnessing happen to Trump right now is just that. Um, and so in many ways, it is comparable, Ben, to what goes on in more corrupt countries. It's not the same. It's not to the same level. But it's comparable. The end game is the same. And in both instances, whether you kill the man or bankrupt him into oblivion to delegitimize and, and incapacitate his campaign, you have robbed the other. Okay, that's that's the, what happens to one man. That's one man. So, so okay, whether Donald Trump was in Russia and was killed by Putin or if he is just bankrupted into oblivion and unable to actually run an actual campaign or even enter into the election, yeah, that affects Trump differently personally. In one case, he's dead. In the other case, he's simply inert. But as far as the end result for the American people, the other 330 million people in the country, sorry, the other 329,999,999 people that aren't Donald Trump, it's the same end result. Is it not? So yeah, we're not killing him. So that makes us better than Russia because we're not killing our political opposition in this country. We will, however, make our political opposition incapable of opposing us which means that we are then solidifying ourselves in control and robbing our citizens of a free and fair election and the right to control their own destiny. That's the same. The way of getting there is different, but the end result, again, is the same. So yes, it is very comparable. Anyway, that's enough for one day, don't you think? Um, let's get into the, the picks tonight. Just one big pick tonight. There's only one bonus that I, I, I came across today. And it's, of course, DraftKings always coming through with the clash on the court. Tonight is San Francisco at St. Mary's. College basketball, of course. Um, a 50% bonus. Uh, last I checked, the line was sitting... At seven and a half. Let me check what that is now. Let's see. This computer like completely changes how it works when I have it plugged into the HDMI. All right, yeah. St. Mary's. Let's see what it got going on here, boy. Wow. Sorry. Yeah. Seven and a half. Sorry, they're gonna make this harder than it has to be for me. I can't even fucking find it. This is a conspiracy. This is great. Okay, it looks like, yeah, it looks like it's still sitting at seven and a half, eight, whatever. I'm going to see exactly what it is on DraftKings right now. Oh my God. St. Mary's, San Francisco. Okay. Yep, seven and a half. And folks, you know what? I'm going St. Mary's. Now, if you look into the game, you will notice that St. Mary's has what appears to be a fairly significant injury, um, and that has been factored into the spread, make no doubt of that. 
uh, my raw model, my raw technicals model, assuming both teams are at 100%, has St. Mary's as almost 11.5 point favorites over San Francisco. This is at St. Mary's, so they have home court advantage among just being a, a better team in general, statistically at least. Um, however, uh, I believe it's Jordan Jefferson. Yeah, Jordan Jefferson is out. He's a starting forward for the team. Confirm his name there so I don't fuck any more stuff up. Injuries. Yeah, there we go. Jay Jefferson. I hope it's Jordan. Joshua Jefferson. I fucked it up. Sorry, Jefferson. Sorry, Josh. Josh Jefferson's out tonight. Now, I actually did some new math today. And this math is called player efficiency rating. It's a very simple formula and it's applicable. Um, it's not very um, practical when you're examining a high volume of games. Um, and it's probably in the long run more efficient to simply ignore games that have injuries of any significant level um, because it's it's kind of hard to determine uh, how much any individual injury is going to affect the outcome. And also it requires a, a fairly involved uh, bit of work that is kind of unfeasible for a day like Saturday when there are as many as 150 games perhaps in one day. You simply cannot do this unless you have like a programmed model or something like that, which you most likely do not. I don't. I have one for teams, but not players. But this equation, if you have the time to, to delve into one specific game, which I, I did today, uh, not that it didn't make me late for everything else I was doing, but hey, it's part of the show and I, I worked on it. And uh, this equation is very simple. Take the player's points. How, this is all season stats. How many they've scored all season? Take their points plus their rebounds plus their assists plus their blocks plus their steals. Subtract missed field goal attempts, subtract missed free throw attempts, and subtract their turnovers. Take that number, divide it by the amount of games they've played, and you have a player efficiency rating. And the reason that's useful is because now you actually have a number that you can put on the value of this player. Now, I'm not going to get too much more involved with that process. If there's anybody out there who actually gives a fuck, let me know in the comments and I can explain further, perhaps in the comments or in a separate uh, video. But for the purposes of this game, I have determined that Josh Jefferson's efficiency rating, as compared to the other forwards further down in the depth chart that will likely be taking his spot is not that much higher. And so I determined that Josh Jefferson's absence tonight will basically reduce St. Mary's team efficiency by a, about 5%. So basically, you can expect St. Mary's to be playing at 95% tonight, all else being equal. That, to me, says 
when I look at the opening line of eight and a half, that that was factored in. Because normally my line is pretty close to the opener. Um, and when it being three points off made me, you know, obviously assume that the reason for that is because my model does not incorporate for injuries and the opening line, of course, does. So when I worked in St. Mary's statistics with 95% efficiency as opposed to 100% efficiency, wouldn't you know it, my line showed 8.3. So that makes me feel pretty confident. Now, granted, last night, we, of course, did lose uh, one of two of our bets. Uh, Houston did not cover minus eight and a half. I, I, I told you I was going to kick myself in the pants, and I did. I promise. They did not cover. Um, I originally had Ohio State plus nine, plus nine and a half. When it moved to eight and a half, I switched up on air to Houston and... Wouldn't you know, Houston won by eight. So it was kind of just a slap in the face from God. Houston didn't cover by a half point, which means Iowa State would have covered by a half point. But Beth Bethune, sorry, Bethune Cookman, Bethune, Bethune Cookman did cover last night. So that was a solid boosted bet. Both of these were boosted bets. So we had a profitable evening last night. I got to run the numbers again. We did lose UTEP the other day, uh, that money line. So I think we're slightly in negative. I think we're like uh, maybe, I think we're like negative half a unit right now. But, uh, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll get the exact number tomorrow just to make sure we're all keeping track or just me. Um, but otherwise, yeah. So profitable night last night and tonight, St. Mary's. St. Mary's minus seven and a half. I think that gives us a solid half point to a whole point edge on uh, what the actual outcome will be. And who knows? They could kill it tonight. They could also lose, of course. We're all used to that. Um, but that's what I'm feeling. St. Mary's, Gales, tonight, I think the game's at nine. Uh, yeah, minus seven and a half. Boosted on DraftKings, 50%. I think it'll take it up to like plus 133 or plus 140 or something like that. So... Should be fun. Good luck to us. Till tomorrow. Peace.